Hey, this is Jim Fleming, and this is the Stuart Heights Fleming Sunday School Class Podcast. Here, you will find recordings of our weekly Sunday School class, as well as a few other teaching opportunities I get at my church. Now, this podcast is not intended to replace your Bible study, to replace your weekly church attendance, or to be your sole source of spiritual instruction. Go to church for that. This podcast is for members of my class who happen to miss a week here or there and don't want to fall behind. But before you listen to this episode, you may want to go to teachings.gym314.com and download student or teacher handouts, as well as any PowerPoints, so you can follow along visually and see what we saw in class, as well as take some notes. Thanks for listening. Come back often, and feel free to add this podcast to your favorite podcast app. I'd recommend Overcast. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Good morning, everybody. All right, there we go. I am glad you are here. I am glad to be here. Let's jump into Romans week 32. Uh, as we have done each week, uh, we're going to start reading from the beginning of this major section in Romans. We're going to read, explain, personalize, apply the text, and then pray together. Uh, and this is where we are. And you will notice today, and I'm really excited about this slide. I'm really excited about this slide. Because today, there's a green check mark next to big point number five. Because today, we finish up the righteousness, this conversation that Paul has to the Jews about righteousness in chapters 9, 10, and 11. So he spent a couple chapters, about half a chapter, introducing righteousness and then pounding us with the wrath of God towards sin and sinners. Jesus comes in in 321, and we see the beautiful demonstration of God's salvation and that Jesus' righteousness enables us to be saved. We see this freedom uh, explored and explained in chapters 5 through 8, and then today we finish up chapter 11. So this is about, you know, 30-some-odd weeks, uh, and then next week uh, we start righteous living. So this is the, so what do we do with kind of all that stuff? What does that look like fleshed out? All right, so this is the final part of this major section. So we're going to start reading in Romans chapter 9. I'm going to read Romans 9, 10, and 11, uh, and then we will talk about what those mean. So if you've got your Bibles, you might want to be in Romans 9, and if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible on that table, and if you just want to know where Romans is, there's a packet stapled together on your table that is just Romans, so feel free to read along with that. So let's look at Romans 9, 10, and 11. <clears throat> I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my my kinsmen according to the flesh. They're Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race according to the flesh is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it's not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And this means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return. 
and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and did nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. And as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. So what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. And you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, what is molded? Say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared hand before for glory? Even us, whom he's called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed, he says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. And in this very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have become like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. So what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it's written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That's to bring Christ down or who will ascend into the abyss. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him on whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah, Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 
But I ask, have they not heard? Well, indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? Well, first Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I've been found by those who do not seek me. I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. And I alone am left. And they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too at the present time there's a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So what then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. So as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their inclusion, their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous, and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? And if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches are broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. And then you will say, branches are broken off so that I might be grafted in. And that is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off by what is by what nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Now, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come on Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. 
For just as you were one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has given him a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. So to him be glory forever. Amen. These are amazingly heavy and beautiful words. And I hope that we savor and soak in them and see the depth and complexity of God and the absolute astounding way in which Paul is enabled by the Holy Spirit to show us these truths. So let's, let's ask some questions. So we've got uh, several verses to look at today. I'm very excited about this text uh, because I'm excited to show you my slide of Bigfoot. So here we go. So are there any literary or structural observations? So, so sometimes it's nice to start at the end. So how does Paul finish this section? Amen, right? Which is kind of a, hey, everybody, I'm wrapping things up right here, right? So it's a nice little he- heads up to us that something, something is coming to conclusion. Uh, I mentioned to you last week that several of last week's verses had, had no verbs in the Greek, and so does this week's text. Paul just, it's, he just gets on this stream of just pounding nouns and adjectives, and it's just in, absolutely incredible. So verse 28, 29, 33, and 36 have no verbs in the Greek. It's just go, 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 go. It's amazing uh, structural sense. But if you, if you felt as I was reading this sense of closure, it's because this big section is coming to a close. Paul is finishing up this part of his argument, and he's about to move into this next part of the argument. And I know I am spending and have spent a ton of time talking about these big major sections of Romans, but for me, I don't have the intellectual capacity to think about 16 chapters of a lawyer's argument without breaking it up into smaller pieces. So I'm hopeful that these smaller pieces help us understand and follow kind of where he's going. It's just, it's just too hard to keep track of. So I have to get into these, um, I hate to say bite-sized chunks. I mean, this, I wouldn't want to put today's text into the phrase of a bite-sized chunk, but it's smaller at least, right? So more manageable maybe. All right, so let's look at the, what do the words mean? So verse 25, we'll start there and go to 36. So lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want or I do not uh, choose or wish you to be unaware or ignorant of this mystery. So I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery. Now, Paul did not say here, I'm going to fully explain this mystery. He said, I don't want you to be unaware that there is a mystery. And there's a big difference here in your approach. If If you think that Paul fully explains the entire concept of this mystery, I think we might be on the wrong approach. Because if you can read this and you come to the conclusion, yep, I fully understand how God works in all these spaces. I, I don't think that's how he ended the section. I think he ends the section kind of losing his ever-loving mind, going off into, isn't God amazing and incredible? How unbelievable are his ways? Like, you, you can't track him down in his thought processes. So I want to be real careful how we set this up so that it's not a, Paul's going to answer every single question about this concept. Not, 
really, he leaves a lot of this hanging. He's, he's going to show us that there is a mystery and, and then let it sit there. And I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with somebody who just said, there's something that's challenging to understand over here and I just want you to be aware of it. Like, there's all kinds of beautiful mysteries in the scripture. So he's going to be making us aware of this mystery. So he says, brothers, brothers, a partial or a, a piece or a portion of hardening, uh, this blindness, is, we, we looked at this word, uh, a very similar word uh, last week, this idea of the, the eyes getting scaled over and the thickening of the skin. Uh, this hardening has come upon Israel. Until the fullness. Now, you guys remember this slide from last week when we showed it on the wall? Um, it looks better today. So thank you, Dave Barber. I appreciate you taking care of that for us. Uh, but the, this, word for, this word for fullness is the piece that fills it up, the piece that finishes. I've got one more piece. So there's one more, like, and then actually this is not a good picture of this, but it looks like the picture, the guy's got the picture in his hand and the puzzle piece. There's two pieces missing here, so sorry. It is what it is. But um, this is the word for the last piece before you complete something, a much larger work. So the, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, verse 26, so, or entered in, and verse 26, and, and in this way all Israel will be saved. Now, does anybody have a different translation than the ESV? That you're reading out of this morning. Yes, Miss Darla, what you got? What does it say for all Israel will be saved? It says all Israel will be saved? Okay. Who else has something? What, what version did you have? The NIV. The NIV? All right. What do you, what do you have, Miss Marie? Oh, the NIV. NIV? All right. Anybody else? NASB. NASB, what does it say? Same thing. Same thing. You know why? Because that's what it says. Right. So, so our first little glimpse into this mystery is exactly, Josh. That's exactly right. I appreciate your forehead. Your forehead is, it communicates so much to me each week. So I, I really value that you're here. Um, so so we, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tee this up and throw it out there, and I'm not going to swing. Okay? The text says, and in this way all Israel will be saved. So here's my question I want you to hang on to for about 15 minutes, and we're going to circle back to it. What does he mean by Israel? Because we are abundantly clear that all of Israel will be saved. Now, I very specifically read to you chapters 9, chapters 10, and chapters 11 today. So hint, hint, hint. All right, let's keep going. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, it's a beautiful word, the deliverer. <clears throat> That's actually the verb in the sentence. Will come is, is not in the Greek text. The deliverer from Zion. He, he's, this is an active working. Uh, it's through the idea of a current. So you're, you're, you're in a river. The current is, is sweeping you along. And this is someone who reaches in and saves you. Okay? Have I, have I ever told you about my first whitewater rafting experience in my life? It was also my last whitewater rafting experience in my life. Yes, it was. Uh, I was 12, 13 years old. I was built very much like my son Caleb, which means uh, five foot nothing and maybe 60 pounds, 70 pounds. I mean, he's a very, very skinny, small dude. And my, my mom's company that she worked for took her employees and uh, their children on a whitewater rafting trip. So I said, I want to go. I want to go. 
So we go up to the Okoye, and they put this vest on me that, you know, they had to cinch up like five different ways, and <laughs> it felt like they just wrapped duct tape around me to keep it on, but they, mom said they didn't, but this is my memory of it. So the very first good little bump that we hit, you know, what happens, what happens to Jim? <laughs> I'm going out. Well, I remember going under. Like, you're not supposed to be able to go under. I remember my head being underwater and looking up and thinking, well, that's a weird view. Like, you know, when you have these moments of clarity, right? And it was a very strange moment. So I'm under, I'm looking back out. I was like, oh, I've seen that in a movie before. And then all of a sudden, like, I have never felt this way in my entire life before or since. I saw these two hands coming and, and I had gouges and she ripped the skin on both sides of my life vest when she wrapped her arms around my life vest and jerked me up out of, like, I, she jerked me around before in my life. <laughs> never, never like that before. I remember my arms flinging back and thinking, like, I'm flying. This is awesome. What in the world? And I was like, my chest hurts. What did you do to me? But she had, you, you know why? Because her baby needed saving. And this is what was going to happen. So mama reached in and she took care of business. <laughs> and, you know, I'm here. So thank you, mom. And that's what this word is. It's the word for somebody who's got water rushing over them. And somebody reaches in and snatches them up and saves them. And this is, a, and I didn't know it at the time, that that was a beautiful picture of the gospel. But that's what Jesus does. Because we're... We're not just drowning, we're dead people drowning, right? It, it, <laughs> we're dead bodies floating in the river. And what does he do? He reaches in and he snatches us up and he saves us. He is our deliverer. Ah, all right. I didn't even have that in my notes this morning. I just thought about that. That's awesome. All right, here we go. In all this way, Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. This is a hill in, uh, in Jerusalem. And figuratively, sometimes it's talking about the church uh, in the scripture. He will banish. He will, he, will, uh, he will turn away from ungodliness, from Jacob. This is the person we were reading about in Romans 9 where I got the org chart all screwed up. And this will be my covenant or my testament with them when I, when I take away or cut off their sins. And as regards to the gospel, this good message, they are what? They are friends. They are wonderful helpers. They are what you've always dreamed of. They are enemies. Do, I, do you have the word odious in your notes? You may know what odious means. Yeah, it, it's like there's bad stuff coming. Like bad stuff coming. It's, it's not good. This is, this is really, really horrible. It's all kinds of negative associated with. They are enemies for what? For your sake. But as regards election, they are agapetos. They are beloved. And this is what stuns me, is that God never stopped loving. Through the grafting, through the placing, through the setting aside, through the restoring, through, there was always the agape love of God. And for the sake of their forefathers, and for the gifts, or these, these uh, gratuities, and the calling, or the invitation of God, are irrevocable. I have trouble with that word, irrevocable. There we go. 
If I say it too slowly, it comes out wrong. So irrevocable. I still messed it up. They are, irre- they are without repentance. They are not to be repented of. So you just go a different direction. That's why I love concordances. You just pick another word. It'll be all right. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. There's a fundamental principle in the scripture in that when, when God saves, he doesn't, he doesn't throw us back into the water. Right? And there's a lot to that. And sometimes we might feel like, you know, it feels like the water's rushing hard and this is a bad day or a bad week or a bad year. He hadn't left us alone. He didn't throw us back in the water. It's irrevocable. I love the fact that Paul... So I, I love reading uh, Peter's writings because they're really easy to understand. <laughs> he was a fisherman and he uses really small words in the Greek. It's fantastic. It's like every Greek student's uh, dream to read Peter. But I love Paul and the complexity of the words that he uses because it articulates the beauty and the glory and the majesty of God's plan. And he just, I feel like he pours out all of his intellect to show us how much the Father cares, because it's irrevocable. So verse 30, For just as you were at one time disobedient, or willfully and perversely disbelieving. This is not a, well, Johnny didn't understand, so we should explain it to Johnny again. No, no, this is like Johnny spit on his sister's face and then you spanked him and told him not to do it and then he did it again and then he looked at you and smiled and said now what you going to do mom like yeah we're we're coming unglued all right right this is willful and perverse i'm really going to go into that disobedience so just as at one time you were disobedient to god but now have received mercy or have pity on because of their disobedience <clears throat> so too now they have been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may also now receive mercy. Verse 32, for God has consigned how many to disobedience? That might be a good word to circle. We are born what? Wonderful and beautiful and everything's right and perfect. We're born what? Sinners, yes. And, and not just sinners, but disobedient sinners. You're going, well, it was just a little bit of sin. No, it's, it's like disobedient. That he may have mercy on all. Our disobedience illustrates his mercy. Think about that one for a few months. Our disobedience illustrates his mercy. And it does, right? I mean, that's... How else, how else do we get to show, how, do, how else does God get to show his mercy except by extending it on those that disobey and disbelieve and rebel and turn their backs? So he extends mercy and he is glorified in this regard. So verse, that he may have mercy on all. Verse 33. And then he kind of, and, and if you, you may have heard the transition and you feel the transition of his language here. Oh, the depth or the deepness of the riches, and this literally just means money. This is valuable stuff. Oh, the deepness of the wealth and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable. It, it, it means inscrutable. It, it cannot be searched out. 
So uh, this is going to be a bit trite, but if, if you type into how deep is God's uh, wisdom and knowledge into Google, you should get no results. It cannot be searched. There is no way to search this, the depth of it. And then he keeps going. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable, and this is untraceable. So there is no evidence of a trail that you can follow. None. You cannot logically or practically track down the ways in which he operates. So Isaiah says that his ways are above our ways. And Paul says you can't track him and you can't search out his judgments. And then he goes on to this, like, it, it makes me feel, it reminds me of Job chapters 37, 8, 9-ish, where God just peppers Job with these questions. And just, where were you when I did this? And where were you when I did this? And, you know, I got, I got lightning stored up in the back just waiting for whatever I need it for. So you know about that? You know how to let that go? What's, where are you at with all of this? And so he says, verse 34, For who has known the mind or the understanding of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Like, who did God go to for advice? <laughs> he, he created everything. Are you going to go to his creation for advice? Right? It's like you looking over at your newborn and saying, Oh, I need help filing my taxes. Do you have any advice for me? Like, I know you're only like six minutes old, but I think you could probably give me some feedback here, right? It's just not, it's just ridiculous to think about this. Who's going to advise God? And, and if you remember, there were a couple times in the Old Testament where folks thought that they could advise God. And that didn't turn out too well, right? We, this is the smite button option that God has, right? So verse 35, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid or required to pay something back? Let's be real careful with that. For from him and through Dia him and to him are all the things. To him be glory or substance or value forever. Amen. And Paul just shuts off that argument at that point. He says, I think we're done talking about this at this point. All right, so let's take a couple observations of the text. So I asked you a question a while ago. I'm going to give you two options for answers. And there's probably other options, but these are the two big ones. So back in verse 26, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. And this is the word for salvation. This is not some other word for, well, it kind of, we helped them out a little bit and patted them on the head and gave them some allowance and sent them on their way. No, this is like salvation saved. Now, in the immediate context of chapter 11, what is the context of the word Israel? Now, so let me ask you a very just straight up logical question. Do all Jewish people experience salvation of God? No. no. You look at the Old Testament, right? It's certainly not true going backward. So it, it's going to be very difficult for us to look at this and say, he's talking about the nation of Israel proper. So I would argue and suggest that Paul's use of spiritual Israel here is probably the right uh, way to look at this. Here's what I really want to get to. is verses 33 through 36. So I want to ask the question, do you think Paul has laid out all the answers to this theological point in verses 25 through 32? Does this fully make sense and you have all of your questions answered? Or do you still have questions? 
I have like <laughs> lots of questions. Oh my goodness, I have lots of questions. And then Paul just, I think the Holy Spirit just lets him breathe and just worship the Lord and say, how awesome is God? Um, so, so here's an idea to think about. When we study the Bible and when we come across something that we go, wow, Lord, I would love for you to show me this. I would love for you to tell me the answer to this. And the answer doesn't come. And it stays a mystery. How about this? How about our response is not show me, show me, show me, show me, show me, show me. How about our response is, oh, Father, how amazing are you? How wonderful are you that I do not understand you and your ways? You are spectacular in all the things that you do. How unsearchable and inscrutable and untraceable are what you do. Now, that's a whole different way to study the Bible. Like, radically different. And I stand before you this morning confessing, this has not been my approach, but it looks to me to be Paul's approach. That he comes and he just says, and here's your first application, mysteries exist. They exist. I hope Bigfoot exists. I do. I want to believe. I want to believe that God has created something and released it among the world just for his pleasure and will not explain it to us ever. Now, are there things that we don't understand about the world? Absolutely. Scientists are discovering all sorts of new things all the time. Will we ever understand everything about this planet? I don't, I don't think so. I think, I think we're going to leave this place not understanding a whole lot more than we do actually understand. So here's what I would suggest that you do on your application. Let mysteries exist. And when we, hi, my name's Jim, I'm guilty. When we get out our theological trampolines and want to try to jump and twist and turn and land that twipple backflip perfectly to make this point work, twipple, did I say twipple? I did, didn't I? <laughs> we'll leave that in the podcast, that's okay. <laughs> I saw Anna Grace laughing. I was like, what did I say right there? Put the theological trampolines away, right? Every once in a while, how about we just let a mystery be a mystery and just say, God, you are fantastic. You are wonderful. You are beyond anything that we can ask or imagine, and it's beautiful. All right, so application number two, all Israel will be saved. I don't want to dance around this. I don't want to, well, we can slide over here and... All Israel will be saved. Darla, is that what your text said? Marie, is that what your text said? Doug left, but that's what Doug's text said. That's what ours says. All Israel will be saved. And I say, praise the Lord. So what do we do with that? Well, evangelize. This is the method in which God has declared that the gospel will be spread. So let's go do that. All right, and then number three, God and his ways have no equal. Now, this was a picture that I wanted to show you last week, because last week we talked about grafting. And the picture on the left is a tree that has had this, this, these pink flowers grafted in, and it's the same tree with white flowers and pink flowers growing on it. And I'm like, that's amazing. Like, that's really cool. But this was done by a guy, and it took decades. And he wove these trees together. And what God does with the Jews and the Gentiles through the application of redemption in the history of man is he makes things that are 
way more interesting than that. Because what God has done is God has grafted us together. And I want you to look around the room right now. Because there are people in this room with whom you have nothing else in common other than Jesus. And that's awesome. This is what my God is doing all the time. Grafting and grafting and grafting and grafting. So what do I say with that? Number three, God and his ways have no equal. They have no equal. So personalize, what do we do with that? I say let's glorify God. I think that's a good place to land for the end of Romans chapter 11. Do I have more questions about Romans 11? Oh my goodness, do I have questions about Romans 11. And I'm just hoping Sasquatch is real. (laughs) All right, so that's the Sunday school lesson for today. Uh, I am super excited about next week. Excellent. I think he's excited too. Mitch is going to be speaking next week, so I am thrilled uh, about this. I'll be praying for him this week as he finishes up his preparation. Uh, But at your tables is the weekly update, so make sure you've shared your prayer requests. If you don't mind, please read, at least at minimally, read through all those ongoing prayer requests. And if you have one on there that you need to update or tweak or adjust, please mark that, and uh, Miss Darla will get those updated for us. So make sure your name is at the bottom of the page where we've documented attendance. And uh, pray as a group. And after you have prayed at your table, you are dismissed. Thanks for coming to Sunday School today.